Welcome to the sermon podcast of Christ Church Medicine, the community coming home to Jesus and His Church. For more information about us, visit ChristChurchMedicine.com. If I've never met you before, uh, my name's Scott. I'm the pastor here at Christ Church, and so thrilled uh, to be coming to these amazing texts with you all this morning. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, what a precious opportunity to hear such a piercing and beautiful and true and life-changing truth from your word this morning, that you are calling us deeper into your love. Lord, may this be more than a Sunday morning in a gym. Lord, we pray that we would encounter you and we would feel the warmth of your love. And all God's people said, amen. amen. Um, Michael Phelps, the swimmer, uh, I think maybe unarguably the greatest Olympian ever. He's definitely the most decorated. Uh, I remember hearing about his life back when he was training. And if you guys heard his regimen for working when he had this goal of getting a medal, it was absolutely insane. So it's like he ate like Paul Bunyan. He would get up and eat like five peanut butter and jelly sandwiches and eight stacks of pancakes, and then he would like swim for 150 miles, and then eat lunch, and then do it again. And his whole life was absolutely insane. It was all so focused on the goal of getting a gold medal. And aside from being a natural beast with a wingspan of like a mile, uh, it sounds like a tall tale, but he is actually that crazy. Uh, he worked so hard for it. He had such a fixed goal. Olympians are like that. But if you read interviews with him, if you've ever heard him talk about his life during that whole season, he talks about this cycle where it would be so hugely bent on getting to a medal or a gold, and then immediately after the Olympics were done, he would absolutely plummet into this enormous four. How many? He um, medaled at what, like three Olympics, three or four? How many? Four, which is nuts. 16 years, he, he did this. <laughs> And then after his last one, it got worse ever. He, he lost it. And you see in athletes how powerful the presence and the absence of a goal is. When it's there, it's so powerful and transforming, or vision. When it's not there, it's crushing. Um, some of you know the old King James translation of Proverbs 29:18 is, without a vision, the people perish. Um, which is really famous. And I used to work for Apple, and they will love to talk about how you got to have vision and mission and everything. Tech world and church planning world are very similar at their core in some ways. But the ESV translation of that is, where there's no prophetic vision, the people cast off restraint. When we do not have a vision or a goal, and the Bible there is talking about revelation from God, when you don't have a compass from the living God, it's like you're adrift or you go nuts. We see the need for a vision. We see how powerful it is in the life of athletes, but it's true for you and I as well, even if we're not elite Olympic athletes. You and I need to know where we are going and why. What are you doing this year? Why? Why do you exist? What are you working towards? We have to be able to answer those questions. And if it's true for us individually, it's also true for us as a church, right? 
What are we all working towards? If you're visiting this morning, Christ Church is almost a year old. Our birthday is in like two weeks, two weeks. Our first birthday, we're not even one yet. Where are we going? What's the, what's the point for us this next year? What are we called to in year two? There are big things that will never change. We just finished the book of Acts. We spent like five months in the book of Acts. The church is called to preach the gospel and spread the kingdom. That's never going to change. Our vision is to be a community coming home to Jesus and his church. That's so central to us. That's not going to change. But God gives you sometimes a calling or a goal or a vision for a season. So we're praying, what is that? We've been thinking about that over the year. And what the Lord has made very clear to us, and this is good for you to hear if you've been tracking all year long or if you're just visiting this morning, what's so clear is God is calling us this year to depth. Depth. The first time I talked about this at our retreat, somebody in the back thought I said death. It's a vision for death. And he's a particularly, he loves, it's Ian, he's not here today, but he loves Jesus who's like, yes, cruciform year, like awesome. Vision for death, not death, depth. That was our church retreat. And again, some of you have heard me say this, but not everybody has, so you got to hear me say it again. In our first year, we grew in number. So we started in a living room, and then we're now in a gymnasium. How cool is this? We've grown. To use our plant analogy, they call new churches church plants. We've added leaves and branches, but now we feel like God is calling us to deepen our roots, both in the Lord and in one another. We feel called to have our relational and spiritual depth catch up with our growth. So roots as wide as leaves. And we'll see that manifested in our church life throughout the year and how we're focusing on that vision for depth of being rooted deep. But this series for the next five Sundays represents the space that we've opened up to think about together what God wants to deepen in us. Bunny Trail is in my prayer and study time, but God has led me to Deuteronomy and to monastic spirituality and all this other stuff. But ultimately, what I feel like God is calling us to deepen has been distilled and distilled and distilled to two simple things. I think God wants to call us deeper into love and obedience. Love and obedience. Beyond growth or programs or fixing up Edgewood High School gym, God wants our heart and he wants our will. He wants to grip it. He wants to transform it. So we're going to spend three weeks on love today and the next two weeks and then two on obedience. And my prayer is that as we look into the scriptures and see how biblical this is, we will see what a dazzling calling that is that God is putting in front of us. It is meant to be the gold medal. It is meant to transform you more than Michael Phelps was transformed by an actual gold medal. Amen? So we begin with love. The big idea this morning is really simple. I'll say it again at the end, but I'm going to give it to you right now, and then we're going to look into the scriptures. More than anything else in your life, God is calling you deeper into love. More than anything else in your life. That is the number one thing that God wants from you. And I usually would be very scared to say something like this, but it is biblically unarguable. It's true. God cares more about your heart and calling you into love more than anything else. And to legitimize that claim, we're going to get Moses and Paul and Jesus all in the same room, and we're going to hear what they have to say about it. So grab your Bible or your bulletin, and we're going to begin with Moses and Deuteronomy 6. 
I've been drawn to Deuteronomy as I've been thinking about what God's calling us to because it's this amazing book in the Old Testament where Moses is preaching these sermons to Israel who are about to cross over into the promised land. So think of speeches that parents give kids when they go off to college or a captain would give soldiers before they go off to war. In those situations, you talk about the big stuff, right? Now remember the family name, remember what I taught you, remember blah, 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 blah. You kind of go back to fundamentals. And in the same way, Moses knows the people have this huge task ahead of them. They've come out of Egypt, they're heading into the promised land, and so he goes back to the fundamentals. He wants Israel to remember what the big deal really is, who God is, who they are, all that stuff. And because of that, these early chapters in Deuteronomy are so significant in the Bible. They're like a gravitational center of the Old Testament. Jesus quotes from these chapters in the Gospels all the time. Jesus knew these like the back of his hand. So if you think of the Old Testament, and if Deuteronomy is like the gravitational center, or a gravitational center of the Old Testament, and the first few chapters of Deuteronomy are a gravitational center of Deuteronomy, then this passage that we read this morning, that's in your bulletin, chapter 6, and particularly verses 4 and 5, is the center of the center of the center. It's like the nucleus, to use a scientific term for all you science people. See? I can do science. <laughs> Verses 4 and 5 are like the bleeding heart of the Old Testament. Verse 4 is famously, famously known as the Shema, because that word in Hebrew here sounds like Shema. And it's as central to the Jewish world, some of you are Jewish and know this, as the Lord's Prayer is to the church. It's prayed twice daily in Jewish communities, and most Jewish parents say it to their children as the last things they hear before they go to sleep, this, this thing that we read today. So it's deeply significant. Okay, let's read it. I'll just start in the beginning. Now, this is the commandment, the statutes and the rules that the Lord your God commanded me to teach you, that you may do them in the land to which you are going over to possess it that you may fear the Lord your God, you and your son and your son's son, by keeping all his statutes and his commandments, which I command you all the days of your life, that your days may be long. Hear therefore, O Israel, and be careful to do them, that it may go well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord, the God of your fathers, has promised you in a land flowing with milk and honey. I love this because it reminds me of my Texas grandpa who would be like, now listen, son, I want to tell you something. And when I tell you, I want you to know that it's important, and that's why I'm telling you. And when I tell you this important thing, I want you to remember it, because it's important. And you're like, oh my gosh, just tell me what it is you want to say. That's a buildup. Do you guys catch that? This is the commandment. Here's why I want you to do it. Here's what's going to happen if you do it. It's going to be amazing. This is why it's so important to remember the commandment. It goes on and on and on and on, and so you get to verse 4. Here, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall, what? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your might. Moses, in the big speech, he says, listen, Yahweh alone is God. Your job is to love him. what he says. How are they to love him? With every fiber of their being. In Hebrew, heart, soul, might, all those come together to basically mean all of you. Exactly like that cheesy John Legend song. Anybody? Yeah? 
This is the center of the center of the center of the Old Testament. If you unwrap it and you unwrap it and you unwrap it, you get to this. The God of the Bible alone is God. Love him with everything you've got. That's the command. Everything else flows from that statement. Now flip with me to Mark 12. Should be your next page. If you've got a Bible, go to Mark 12. We're going to be starting in verse 28. Gotcha questions. And there's some, re he was constantly being questioned, and people love to ask Jesus gotcha questions. And there's some really smart people that Jesus engages with, and he always comes up to them, and they ask him all these tricky things to try to pin him down. I would love to do a sermon series at one point called Gotcha with an exclamation point about just Jesus engaging with it because it's amazing to watch because he owns everyone who tries to pin him in a corner. And this that we're about to read happens right after there's been a series of people trying, kind of getting in the ring with him and trying to pin him in a quarter and prove him wrong or something, and he's just owning everybody. And this is where we start. Verse 28, read it with me. And one of the scribes came up and heard them disputing with one another, seeing that he answered him well. So this scribe is sitting in the corner watching Jesus, uh, juking all these gotcha questions and just showing so much wisdom. And the scribe's like, this is impressive. Who is this guy? So he walks up and asked him, we're still in verse 28, which commandment is the most important of all? Hmm. A lot of people are listening to this. You've got to imagine this is in the middle of a big, you know, ooh thing. Jesus answered, the most important is, hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one, and you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. The second is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. With crystal clarity, Jesus quotes the Shema. He dips into Deuteronomy 6 and he says, nothing is more important than this. Love God. Love your neighbor. Let's keep on reading because I love how it ends. Verse 32, and the scribe said to him, you're right, teacher. You've truly said he's one and there is no other beside him. And to love him with all the heart and with all the understanding and with all the strength and to love one's neighbor as oneself is much more than all whole burnt offerings and sacrifices. So this guy who I love, he's nameless. He doesn't have a name. He's just a scribe. Here's Jesus and says, you nailed it. It's important to love God and neighbor more than anything else. And when he says burnt offerings and sacrifices, think like any other religious, moralistic, I got to do this to be right or good or whatever. He's, that's like grouping everything. That's more important than everything. Now, I am stunned by this guy in the posture of his heart. He's not jealous like everybody else about Jesus. Did you notice that? He's not trying to pin him. He doesn't ask a gotcha question. He just says, what's, mo what's most important to this person he can see who has so much wisdom and when Jesus answers correctly, he has the boldness and the biblical depth to go, you got it right. He told Jesus he answered correctly. <laughs> Jesus, who sees everything, sees how special this guy is. And I love this. Look at the, verse 34. And when Jesus saw, remember Jesus can see right into your soul. When Jesus saw that he answered wisely, he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And after that, nobody dared ask him any more questions. 
Have you ever been in a class where a professor or a teacher asks a question and everybody in class is trying to answer it and they're just choking and getting it wrong? The teacher's like, no, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. Everybody chokes all the time in the Bible. Uh, it's so encouraging. Be encouraged. The vast majority of people who try to answer a question with Jesus get it utterly wrong, which is encouraging to me. But every now and then in class, you know, there's that girl in the back who raises her hand and says the right answer, and you see the teacher's face light up and be like, that's correct, and that you can tell they're impressed. I always hated that girl because I never got the right answer. <laughs> I think this is one of the only times in these dialogue situations where Jesus is impressed. Jesus is, you kind of see him grinning when you see him looking at this guy who's like, you got it right. And that's because he understands the scriptures. He sees that this guy knows what the gold medal really is. It's love. It's in his heart. So Jesus says, you've got it. You are close. You're not far from the kingdom, my friend. Isn't that amazing? And then I love the exact same thing happens when the girl answers right in class. Everybody else shuts up. People are like, oh, gosh, I'm not going to say anything else from now on. Okay, now let's let the Apostle Paul chime in. Flip to 1 Corinthians. If Deuteronomy 6 is famous, so is 1 Corinthians 13. You've probably heard this at a wedding, but please let me rescue this from uh, cheesy weddings for a second. I want you to see that this is Paul getting at the center of the center of the center. This is Paul with Jesus and Moses unwrapping everything to show you what, what is most important and most significant. Reading from the beginning, verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned but have not loved, I gain nothing. Now what's Paul getting at here? Let's just stop there for a second. Paul is saying you can grow and pursue all kinds of things. You can have virtues, you can have gifts, you can, but if you aren't spiritual gifts, careers, relationships, whatever, but if you aren't deepening in love, it's worthless. To quote Paul, you gain nothing. He even says, did you notice, you are nothing. Now, this is where I feel like it's so applicable to our church and this particular season of our church's life. Um, our tradition brings together so many different streams of Christianity. If you're visiting for the first time, you might be like, what kind of a church is this? There's like bits and pieces from all over the place. Uh, there's a famous bishop who said, to be Anglican is to be at the same time evangelical, apostolic, Catholic, reformed, and spirit-filled. And normally, you would never put those things in the same sentence. And that means that in this church, we have people from all those different backgrounds. They are you. And that means that all of you hunger for unique things in church. You want to see different things grow. So some of us, um, you long to see Christ's church grow in a deepening of the life of the Holy Spirit. What you long more for than anything else is more open times of worship and prayer and the using of the Spirit's gifts and all those things. You're hungry for it. Some of you are Bible people. And you're so passionate about the Bible, and you long for our church to deepen in discipleship 
you want to do all the Bible overviews, you want to watch every single Bible project video that's ever been released. Some of you are those people. I know because I've talked to you. Some of you <laughs> long for a deepening of the sacramental life, okay? Your dream would be to have morning prayer at like 5 a.m. and to have a patristic reading book club and Ignatian spirituality. You love it. Every time I say one of these, some of you laugh because you know it's you. Some of you hear all that and you're like, that sounds like a gross holy huddle. What we really need to do is get out on the streets and serve the poor. We want activism. We want justice. That's what the kingdom of God has come here to do. And to all of those, yes. <laughs> we do want to grow in all of those. But do you notice Paul is saying you can grow and he covers every single thing I just said and says, if you deepen in that and you're not growing in love and you don't have love, it's vapor. Let's just read it again with this context in mind. Verse one, if I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong. He even talks about prophetic powers. You can have the most amazing spiritual gifts and not have love, and Paul's saying it's worthless. If I understand all the mysteries and all knowledge, so here's like St. Thomas Aquinas, in his tower, just reading the deepest, most profound books in like 16 languages. You can know all that, but if you don't have love, it doesn't mean anything. If I have faith to remove mountains but have love, I'm nothing. If I give away all I have, here's those of us who are so passionate about justice, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, that's like Gandhi hardcore. You're giving everything away you have. You even sacrifice your body. He's saying if it's not paired with love, it means nothing. So I hope you hear Paul. It's not meaning that any of those things I said are bad. I love all those things. We want to deepen in those things. But if we are not doing this first, it's vapor. Amen? So listen to the authority of Moses, Jesus, the Apostle Paul, ring clear. The number one thing God is commanding you this year to do, and it's a command, is he's calling you deeper into his love. He wants to grip your heart with his love, and he wants it to blossom in new fragrances and new colors. That is literally the gold medal. That's what God's calling you to. It's the big deal. Now, just to speak personally, I've been a Christian my whole life. I'm so thankful that there's never been a time in my life that I didn't know about Jesus because my parents told me about him as soon as I could understand words. But I'm sad to say that I don't think it was until my senior year of, of college, when I was 22, that the simplicity and the power of this actually got me. And I was studying the Bible. So I was like doing this all the time, and it never had really got my heart. But one day it did. It gripped me that this is what God was calling me to. I was 22. I wasn't married, I didn't have a girlfriend, and so every, everything in my life was a question mark. Career, relationships, life calling, everything was up in the air, and I felt this massive burden of what I was supposed to do, grades, whatever. And then I, I remember realizing the most important thing that God wants from me, the most thing that is most significant that matters is that I love him and love other people. And I remember sitting in my cafeteria one morning, eating breakfast, looking at all the other students in the cafeteria, and feeling the burden and the pressure and the anxiety of my future just melt off my shoulders. 
And I just realized, oh my gosh, God is calling me to love him and love others. It's my calling in life. And I remember being so drawn to it. I want that. I woke up each morning and was just light of heart. I wanted to love God more. I wanted to receive his love more. Now, it hasn't stayed all like that because I've gotten tangled again here and there. And that is my prayer for our church this year. We could do, we could grow, we could become more fill-in-the-blank. Um, there are so many things we could do in the second year of a church, right? But none of it matters if we're not hearing the scriptures and hearing Jesus' teaching. Amen? It's really clear what God wants from us. He's calling us deeper into his love. And I, that's his desire for you personally, for you and your life, whatever your situation is. I hope you can see that from the Bible. It's not just me casting some like vision series for our church. This is the core of the scripture teaching. If I ask each of you what your purpose or goal in life was, I wonder how you'd answer. I wonder how you would answer that. Work, family, career, activism, art, creativity. Um, I wonder if the answer you would give would be different than actually what it is in your life. Maybe some of you hear that, man, what's the purpose and goal for my life? And you don't even know. You're trying to figure that out. Hear the word of the Lord this morning. God's task for you, what you have ahead of you in your life that's so worth pursuing is being called deeper into the love of God. Amen? Your job, accomplishments, gifts, money, all of that will fade. Any other goal will at some point, if it's put first, turn to ash in your mouth. Even gold medals. I think Michael Phelps had like 28, something like that. That's ridiculous. And if this can get inside of you, it will melt all those other things away. It has the power to change your life. And the cool part about this is it applies to all of you, no matter what stage of life you're in. Some of you are in high school. More than grades, more than getting into the right college, more than becoming successful or whatever, God wants this from you. This is the most lasting, beautiful thing. He's calling you into his love. Some of you are career women and men. Some of you are at home in a vocation of raising children. Some of you are millennials and figuring everything out. It is all the same for every single one of us. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It's not arrogant. It's not rude. It does not insist on its own way. It's not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecy, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. As for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part and we prophesy in part. But when the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child. I thought like a child. I reasoned like a child. 
Maybe you can think of pursuing other things first or letting something else dominate your life. I think he's talking about that right there. When I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now faith, hope, and love abide, these three. But the greatest of these is what? Love. Now how do we grow in love? How do we obey this command? That's the million-dollar question. What we don't do is work for it. You don't earn it, right? That's legalism. You don't find it. You don't have to have a quest. You don't have to eat like Paul Bunyan and swim a 1,000 miles a day. You cannot transform your own heart into being more full of love by yourself. You don't just do it. So the application is not like, go home and go like this. Just try to be more loving. I've tried that. It doesn't work. Everything begins with receiving the love of God. The love of God is the fountainhead. It starts the transformation, and he already loves you. He already loves you. So the task is to receive it, is to open yourself to it, to taste it, and to believe it. In Deuteronomy, before Moses commands the people of God to love God, before he says that, he reminds them that God has already brought them out of Egypt. In chapter 4, verse 57, he says that it's because he loved them. So God's love comes first. The Shema, the you shall love command, is a response to the people already being loved and taken out of Egypt. And of course, this is the gospel. For God so what? The world. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son. And as the beautiful passage says, God demonstrates his love for us in this. That while you and I were still sinners, still not loving him, Christ died for the ungodly. First John says, this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us. We love him because he first loved us. So that means right now you are loved more than you can possibly imagine. Think of the love of God as like water that's being held by a dam. And our joy and our privilege as a church, personally, is to open that up, to let it flood over us. That unmarried. And when we receive and taste that unmerited, unchanging love, it pulses through us like electricity, and we become a conduit of love towards God and towards one another. Now, one of the dangers of these sermons and of these passages, um, which is why they're so present, but they're not often understood, is that they're very easy to become ambiguous and hard to pin down and fuzzy. That might already be happening right now. You're thinking this is all still really fuzzy to me. It doesn't really make tactile sense. And that's why originally we were going to do a lot of other things in this series, but we're going to spend three weeks talking about love because God's love is so far from being fuzzy or ambiguous. It is very, very tactile. It's very focused. So next week we're going to be talking about how we know God's love for us is true, how we can open ourselves up to experience it, and how we can be transformed into love for him. So we're going to be thinking about the Shema how do we actually experience God's love and love him back? Then the week after that, which is all saints and it's our birthday, we're going to be thinking about how that love transforms us into loving one another. 
And then after that, we're going to be talking about obedience because Jesus always combines love and obedience, the heart and the will. They go together. They're one organ in some ways. So if it's ambiguous, come back next week. We're going to dive even further into it. But this week, I'm comfortable with us stopping with just the big idea. Love is the most important thing. Love is what you're being called to. Love is God's greatest command to you. It is the gold medal. So just two parting shots. If you're a Christian and you've been in church a long time, we need to be reminded of this. Amen? Is it easy to forget? Yes. All of faith, all of Christianity, all of your presence even here this morning. You're here this morning because you made some effort to come to church. The reason we are here is because we are on a journey to more deeply and profoundly tasting the love of God and being transformed as people who love. That is what this is all about. You get that right, everything follows. You get it wrong, it's bad. If you're visiting here and you're looking into Christianity and you're not quite sure about Jesus, you're asking questions about it, I hope you can see from the scriptures that love finds its home in Jesus. Everybody believes in love. I was laughing yesterday thinking about the history of rock and roll. It's very love-centric. I was laughing about the darkness song from those of you who know, I believe in a thing called love. Just listen to the rhythms of my heart. Anybody? When did that come out? Like early 2000s? Anyways, can anybody find me somebody to love, queen? Don't you want somebody to love, you know? I could go on and on and on. So Christians aren't the only people who think about love or long for love. That's in all of us because God created you for it. I think it just confirms what Jesus is saying. What I want you to see is that if you follow the breadcrumb trail of love, eventually it will find its focus and its end in the person of Jesus. He's the beginning of love. He's where it comes back to. He's the source So the journey for us as a community, for those of you who've been Christians for a long time and are in church, it's to be like, have a huge ice bucket in the face as a reminder of why we're doing all this in the first place and why we're here. And if you're visiting, I want you to maybe taste for the first time the love of God because he wants you to taste it. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we pray that you would begin an avalanche in our hearts this fall, and maybe this morning it's going to start with a couple pebbles trickling that are going to unhinge other rocks and big boulders that are going to start falling and cascading in a realization and a healing of entering into the love of God. Lord, whatever things need to start shifting right now in your Holy Spirit, from hearing your word, we pray that you would do in us. And Lord, we ask you would give us a greater portion. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.